we're doing the same thing that that everybody else is doing is we're, we want like-minded people to know you're not crazy So we have on our podcast today, uh, Chris and Flip, and they have their own YouTube channel. Um, they have been on Midnight Mormons, uh, Jonathan Streeter's channel, Thinker of Thoughts. And um, you guys are pretty active in the... Flip was know, on Mormon Expression a bunch of times and yeah, Sunstone Chris, a few times. And... Chris went on Mormon Midnight Mormons and Streeter. But yeah, I did a, a few um, Mormon Expression episodes. All right, so I'll link down below like where you can find their channel and make sure I platform them well. Um, <laughs> so, I just want to say, I've never once advertised out that channel. Some people come at us, and that's that's always kind of one of the things I sit back on. It's like, it's yeah. getting out where it's getting out. I haven't advertised it once anyway. I, well, I'll let you guys just do a quick introduction. Like, why do you care? Where are you at? <laughs> like, what, what what's, your, what's your story? Uh, Chris, go first. Why, why do we care? We've been asked that so many times over the years whenever we get into a uh, little Facebook. Well, why are you here? Like, where, right? where, why is your energy here, I guess? Like, so obviously you have some background. Like, you grew up LDS, I'm assuming. So I just kind of... Grew up LDS. Me. Grew up LDS. I was I was never a, a hardcore believer. That's something that I brought up before. Like, I, I struggled with it. I struggled with it from a young, young age. I remember that we used to do a... I hope they call me on a mission. I was like eight years old and something saying, I'm not singing that song. I don't want to call it a mission. And... Uh, um, all through high school and all that stuff, I was maybe like a little rebellious in high school. I did not want to go on a mission, but I, I still ultimately followed all the stuff. I just generally struggled. I struggled with church. I struggled with believing it from a really young age. I ended up going on a mission. I think even in my mission farewell, I said, I don't know that I have very much of a testimony to talk to me in two years. That, I said that in my, uh, <laughs> I said that in my mission farewell and, uh, you can ask people, <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, I went out and I, I kind of felt like I was able to compartmentalize a little bit. So I went to Mexico city. Same place uh, Quick from uh, um, Quick Media went. So we, we kind of have that in common. We've chit-chatted about it. And um, uh, on the mission, I, I I remember trying a few times to gain that testimony under the promise. I, I promised like one night I tried to pray the entire night. Uh, I might have fallen asleep or something with my knees on that couch or something. But it, to me, it seemed like I was there that whole entire night. And I woke up in the morning and said to myself, did you feel something? No, I don't think I felt anything. You know, and, and I tried, I tried all that sort of stuff. I tried to go through the mission. I have a, an interview with one of my companions on my channel. You said you've listened to that one. Part of why I put that one up there is because he's there to say that he, he used to tell me that he got his, uh, one of his biggest uh, testimony builders was he knew personally how much I hated the mission and kind of didn't really like it or go along with it. But I still tried my hardest and did my best and got up and did all the rules and followed stuff and tried to go in my brain. I was kind of able to compartmentalize a little bit, um, why if i was in spanish i was able to kind of just run through the testimonies and all that stuff i don't think i ever once in my life in english kind of gave like a real straightforward um, testimony i always kind of had that doubt and i was always a little bit honest with myself about that um going out of that i went into college got got temple married all that stuff um went into college when i was in college i did an undergraduate i did two undergraduates one in public relations which i actually think comes into play nowadays because so much of what we're living under is corporate corporate places trying to 
kind of get, get a conscience about about how they're acting in the world and that's what the pr angle of stuff was and uh then the other major that i did was spanish and spanish literature which ended up becoming a second major just for how the timing in school landed and i ended up graduating top of the class in that area and they the spanish department there invited me to come on uh offering up through a, a phd if i wanted it um i just did the ma uh in Spanish literature, and I taught undergraduate Spanish literature classes and took uh, master's, you know, level uh, literature classes, which ended up kind of cross-training us into all sorts of things back in 2002, 3, 4, um, about a lot of the things that people might call critical social justice nowadays. So I had a really early introduction into it. It was by the time that I started getting into it, and I've been into it ever since. Flip is one of the persons that a lot of people said you didn't you didn't tell us about that. Flip is one of the persons that I kind of tried to start explaining it to all the way back yeah. then, and uh, and saying, and "Have I you heard this stuff? Have you seen this stuff?" Yeah, and because um, um, Flip's Flip's Flip Flip hasn't gotten through college, but he's one of the smartest guys I know. I've I've met professors and all this stuff. I put Flip at professor level intelligence. I've always felt that way about him because I'm not into that credentialism that people have. Uh, but the um, Going through that, I just continued studying and studying and studying that stuff. However, probably through those same philosophies, I started falling away from the church. You know, I I, I sometimes would joke back at that time that I didn't care about history, all that stuff. It was I kind of took a more Foucauldian angle of why I was leaving the church, that it was power and power structures. And in fact, uh, reading about Foucault, writing about um, the power of the, the confession was one of my big points of saying this confession stuff is bullcrap and 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 uh getting out of it from there so then i i slowly backed away from the church going through all of that i ended up finding all the stuff about the history and um reading a bunch of it myself and then beyond that maybe through mormon expressions with john larson started hearing a bunch of that so i grew up in the same ward as lindsey hansen park um, we were actually talking to each other quite a bit when she was first leading. I think, I can't say for sure, but I think I, sh I showed her John Larson and John Larson's podcast. I remember talking back and forth on that. She ended up appearing a bunch of time on John Larson's podcast. That might not be exactly how it went down, but that's that's how I remember it. And she and I, timeline, the like beginning of Mormon Expression, the first, yeah, oh, the first Okay. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm new to I I mean I've only been here like a couple of years, right? So I'm like Yeah. So Mormon Expression was John Larson's podcast. John Delin now brings him on all the time. Uh and they've archived his podcast and they offer it at a premium on John Delin's channel because back then, back during that time, Larson was winning over Delin. Uh Lars, oh, Mormon Expression was the was the bigger podcast and oh, Delin was kind of uh, oh, kind yeah. of on on his tails. I see. And well, Larson back was still playing faithful. Yeah, Delin was still playing faithful, and guys like Larson were really critical of it. Even us too. We we thought Delin was kind of a goof uh, because of that, and but Delin would still kind of start coming around. So Lindsay Hansen and Larson had that podcast. I showed Flip and I started listening to a whole bunch. We went. I was there live here and there. They'd ask me to come on, but I if I didn't know the historical subject, I'd say I don't want to be on the panel. I don't know that subject until I'd learned about it later. Flip, who knows a lot about all that sort of stuff, would just jump right on, and so he ended up on a bunch of those, and and he he'd talk and talk with Lindsay and talk with Larson, and um, there was a time frame where Lindsay was talking to me, asking about well, they were asking about ideas for a different podcast of, of steel manning different. Um, 
ideas that were against them. They were talking to me about that. So I, I kind of have a history with those guys. Larson, uh, part of what uh, ignited us into finally making a podcast is one night, uh, Flip and I went, were asked by Lindsay, it was like a Christmas Eve, to go keep Larson company because he's going through a divorce. That divorce is part of what ended Mormon expression, you know. And uh, so we went and kept him company for a night and and uh, just just being nice. It was just one night. We chit-chatted that night, whatever we left. We played poker. We played poker. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit. I remember we talked about due process that night and kind of got yeah. in an argument about it. But um, anyway, that that started into a point where I started getting to a point where I started seriously questioning the critical social justice world of um, of academics. And I've, I'd, at that point, read a ton of it. I, I'm not underread in the world. Uh, I, I kept going on even after graduate school, reading and continuing that stuff, especially from that side of the aisle. And um, it's just been a long process. And Flip and I, probably for who knows how many years, just kind of constantly share with each other almost daily these constant things of like, look at this, look at this, look at this, of stuff that comes out of that world, some of it at the academic level, some of it at the cultural level. And uh, that led into, I ended up resigning from the church and I resigned right when uh, John DeLynn got excommunicated. And I even wrote in my exit letter or whatever that I thought that they were kind of pushing out people who were trying to make sense of it. And I, like I've said before, I think that was, um, I think I was incorrect about that. I think they were actually correct in their decision to move John DeLynn out because I do think that he, he pushes beyond just trying to say, hey, except people who are in the fringes, he, he tries to change the church. And, and I think they're justified in, in, in excommunicating him for that. Anyway, so then the past four or five, six years, we ended up uh, uh, just kind of starting to push back more on the academic religion that I think is out there right now. Flip and I have been there through a whole lot of that. Through that process, um, at one point, I was pushing back on I was defending quick, quick media because he described some stuff in the critical race theory and he was completely correct because he's read it. And so many of the people who push back on it have not read it. And quick was correct. He's he describing. Me. He's yeah. read it. The more people than the defending people it try to translate it into something that it isn't. Yeah, and, the, okay. and the first step of every, every one of these discussions is to get people to acknowledge that reality exists, which is to say, <laughs> People wrote this down. They published it as scholarship. They've been citing each other. You know, yeah. like when there's when, libraries and when, libraries. When the libraries. New York Times say experts say these are the experts and these experts publish stuff. You can read it. You yes. can read what they said. And and Quick was representing it correctly. And yeah. the the people on the ex-Mormon site were saying that's not what it says. Yeah. And I so I came out. I've quoted the literature and been told that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So then I came out and said, no, he's what he's saying is correct. And then I got I got swarmed, which has happened to us a million different times for a million different reasons. But through that swarming, Jonathan Streeter saw me, saw me arguing back with a bunch of people. And that's when Jonathan Streeter invited me on his podcast, because Jonathan Streeter has been reading this stuff and been onto it, too, for a while, because he's interested in how things become culty. Um, he's just put out a, pot, uh, a website recently about how culty is the thing. And, and you can you can review it for gym stuff to uh, gluten, to uh, all the way to critical social justice or Mormonism, you can, whatever. It's, it's this thing set up to, to kind of judge whatever sort of thing you believe in, how culty is it? And so Streeter brought me on several different times to kind of discuss and go over this stuff. And he's been reading a lot more of it. I've been, I've always been reading all along. Flip's been reading all along. So we've always been kind of poking at it. And I ended up on that through ending up on there. I got invited on to Midnight Mormons. I got invited on to Quick Show. 
I got invited onto these other places. And then, so the reason I brought up that night with Larson is that we started, they were asking for criticism. They were directly asking for criticism and in, we had some Facebook criticism. Facebook post or where? It was both a Facebook post and on Live the, on the show. Live on the show. Okay. They looked into the camera and said, how are we being political? You know, we so want to hear I your said, criticism. Okay. So I said, so okay, here's the criticism. And so I gave him the criticism and started like describing to him about how, you know, they don't, they don't usually put these like these straw men things of like, nobody can describe critical race theory or nobody can. And like, yeah, we can, you know? And yeah. so we started talking to him and I started I, under a, uh, um, anonymous name just cause it was my, my basic, um, YouTube name. Oh. I started arguing with Larson and we were arguing back and forth and I was pointing to him. And, some and he was and, on the stream as a, a viewer then? And that's how you were? He was the one who was on the stream. He saw me comment on the stream and then he started talking to me in the comments. Yeah. Oh, so and, it was uh, like the actual, so are you sure it was him then? Yeah. Yeah. It was, okay. it was his, his like official thing. Oh, and okay. um, he was arguing back and forth with me and he was saying, well, what do you have? What do you do this? And I started pointing to him and so you guys say that you aren't doing this, but you are doing this. And I started pointing to him the different little ways that he was doing the stuff directly as it comes out of the uh, the theory. Like and that, that sort of what was he doing? So he, he was talking about, they talk about what wokeism is, is people need to wake up to have a critical consciousness through a certain type of critical theory. And through that critical theory, they need to see the systemic systems that are problematic and then talk about dismantling those problematic systems. That's he, just last stream with, with the Lynn, he said people can't, can't describe what wokeism is, but that's, yeah. that's John Larson says woke doesn't have a definition. It doesn't mean anything. I linked the Merriam-Webster entry on woke, where not only does it give the social justice definition, but even gives a brief history of that usage. So and then deleted my comment. Yeah, and it was literally just the link to the woke. And so one of the things about that is in those in those interactions. I've for years been talking with Lindsay Hanson Park to John Larson through Lindsay Hanson Park about these ideas of the other side, very politely, very succinctly saying, hey, they were even talking about, let's start a podcast where we still man your side and we still man your side and we have a discussion about it. They were talking to me about creating that podcast. And for years, we talked back and forth about the stuff and then it would just kind of start getting more and more and more salty, especially through the Trump era. It would just get saltier. Salty, right. salty. This, is, this is a long process of getting saltier. And then... Finally, in this moment, he didn't realize he was talking. Oh, the criticism one. So, was uh, timeline-wise, was this more recent or was this back? No, at the same that time? was two thousand. That was pre-Trumpish. Like uh, we were talking that it was right During when that probably stream on Facebook. Where, or, oh, the no, stream that was recent. Yeah, the stream. Okay. Yeah, it was like a few months ago. So, so we were jumping so, around a little bit. Okay, so what, yeah. What was what episode? What? Oh, there's was the Willie Handcart Company one or something like that where he was talking was. about. You need to be, you need to be, he even used the word woke, I think, woke into your race, the racist culture that you've been around yeah. and you think it was, you know, it's just, and then, then just right in the next breath saying, uh, wokeism doesn't have a definition or, or you know, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm mischaracterizing that one exactly. But I, in this, in this thing, I was pointing to him exactly how he was um, getting it, getting it wrong and, and straw manning another side. And I was talking to him about that. And when I talked to him about it, I said, he said, Oh, I don't want to talk about this because I kind of pinned him on the wall about you give me a, your definition of what racism is. And then they do the thing that, you know, kind of frequently happens is they didn't want to continue with it. He said, let's talk about this over beer. And the thing is about Larson is like, I, I know that he probably would kind of concede to me the stuff I was saying over a beer, just not in front of a, an audience in that sort of way. Yeah. Also, John, so I, in Oregon, so it's not like we can re realistically yeah. go have a beer with him. 
But anyway, in that moment, I told him who I was. I said, well, we can have a beer or whatever. You know, this is Chris Hanna. You know me. I, I spent the night over at your house and we hung out and talked. And, and I've talked to you through Lindsay Hansen Park for years. And then he immediately changed and said, I know who you are. You stay away from me and my family. Yeah. Uh, you, <laughs> all this stuff like painting me like I'm yeah, some sort said, of stalker never, or something like said, that. I've, I've never spent Christmas Eve with anyone that was. He said the night didn't happen. He yeah, said all sorts like, of stuff like it was like the biggest deal in the world if that night happened or not. And, and then he, he and he I like, went back through my Facebook Messenger thing and I found where Chris and I were invited by Lindsay Hansen Park on that like, night. Chris sends we, me John Larson's address. We pulled address. the proof of it. I had an ex-girlfriend who went with us that night. She verified it too. She's like, yeah, she was there. But that's that's even beyond the point. Is that he just immediately went to making me look like a, trying to make me look like a crazy person? Yeah. For that. Oh, like so, stay away from my so, family, like you some kind well, of. Well, could it be person. that he actually thinks you're a crazy person though? Like no, because do you, he, you do he, think he did that in bad faith, or do you think he actually thinks it you was might bad be crazy? faith? He was lying yeah. about the night. The, yeah, he was lying about the night. That's how we know it was bad faith because oh. he doubled down by he tried lying to deny that something knowing. that really happened. He said, really "I've never happened. let some person in my house, let alone you know, like something like that." No, yeah, he said, "I've never," because it was it was a Christmas Eve, and he said, "I've never spent Christmas Eve." With anyone but my friends he knew and family, he, was he knew he was lying. Like, yeah, and we played poker, we drank beer, he, we had scotch. I've hung out with him one night, and I don't go around chasing him or pushing him. We were pushing back on that stuff because they asked. Maybe for he criticism. just, maybe he's just trying to. He, well. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're guys. doing, yeah, yeah. trying to still man it, and you should. Yeah, but no, it was bad I, faith. I, and, uh, it's tough. Um, it's, it, no, like it's really tough because I feel like with like for example midnight mormons and rfm i so i'm so glad that debate did happen but um i feel like there's so many personal things that are said and it's so hard to actually talk to the person and not their ideas when it's personal like that you know what i mean and if he lied for sure if you he lied about something it's, it's hard faith. not to take it personal right well you know how but... we know it's bad faith there's a way that we know it was in bad faith which is we're still here we're still willing to talk we still comment. We we accept. We still apologies try. Too. <laughs> we accept apologies. We we. I highly believe they in kind of like the game want... theory thing of like That's if somebody punched yeah. at you, you maybe you punch back, but then be willing to forgive. Yeah. No, um, I, I I made the joke that when John Delin and John Larson said, you know, we want to hear Chris criticism, they have exactly as much sincerity as yeah, they, when they, they say are are all opposed, show us by the sign. They don't want to really know about opposition. And <laughs> that's part of the, we called it like a hundred flowers campaign yeah. from Mao is that they want to see who's criticizing so they can cut them out. Yeah. And, and that's what it seemed like to us, at least anyway. Mm. But the, the point of it is, is yeah. um, that moment probably ignited us into finally, we've been talking for years about starting a podcast, not about them, just for yeah. just hanging out and talking and bullcrapping. But and, you guys do talk I mean, about that yeah, but since that moment, forever. Like, okay. Like, but it gonna... set the it put the fuel in the fire, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, okay, we're gonna do this because, like, if he's gonna like be famous about that and, and they want criticism, no, okay, I we'll give criticism. I have my and own so then personal, we started doing it. Yeah, I have my own personal like stories. Um, I I don't know if I want to talk about it publicly, but I've told you about like being blocked from yeah. certain things, Getting and I'm just and it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard to not take personal, like especially when you think you're a part of that group and you're trying to help. You're like you're trying to actually help them be less biased so that they can be more convincing to all sides. Right. Like so that's maybe, segue. maybe to help. It's hard them, not to take it personally. This is at the same time segue. too, uh, it, helping the people they're straw manning. Cause like, I, I don't think they go yeah. about creating a better world for the way they straw man the other yeah. side. Five or six years ago. And Chris was there for all of this. Cause this is a for perfect anybody, segue. Really. 
Five or six years ago, the I was permanently banned from the Ex Mormon Facebook group, the one called Ex Mormon, and it was for one with a really great this, thing about the I, Godfather. And it's, it's been a long time. I don't know. But again, this is this is, <laughs> this is how long this is how long I've been in this scene is that yeah. this has been five years. But somebody posted and like this is this is a this isn't an exact quote, but it was something very close to this. She said, "I'm a recruiter for my company." I see all of these resumes come past my desk that cite BYU and MTC as experience. I mentioned this one on the min when I was on the Midnight Mormons. I mentioned this one, and some people asked, "Did that really happen?" Well, this is Flip who who was there for. And I was the first commenter, and I said something to the effect of, "Imagine if these were Muslim candidates, and instead of BYU and MTC, you said Madrasa and Mosque. You're just being a bigot." And boy, did that set off a three-day flame war where yeah. it was terrifying. And is that all you said? Is that all you? Did you stop? No, right we went. It, no, because well, I no, said, flip I mean, got I flip going. got banned for calling for using after the word three days. I like because it was after three days, and like I was even linking the word bigot. And what's amazing is all of the people who are like, no, we're not being bigots. Mormons really are all stupid and dumb. That's not bigotry to hate Mormons if they're really dumb. Like, and it really got that stupid. Meanwhile, it was a Chris long, stupid thread. Scenes, yeah, and Chris is behind the scenes, saying like, but, "Fellow but, HR professional, to other fellow yeah. HR professional, what you're doing is illegal." You so that that woman who started off, the thing, she talked know? to me. She talked to me directly, and to not throw her under the bus, she apologized for it. She said, "I shouldn't have said Indirectly, that. Like, I didn't want this to." I didn't want this to all blow up into this. The and person that originally I, made the comment. The one who made the OP. Yeah. She's like, that's, yeah, not, like well, that's not, I don't want to really I said, I didn't mean that. this. I didn't want it to go. But the thing is like the yeah. thread just, just flew yeah. off. You know, oh, she didn't want it. Because what well, she did was also... extremely, it was, I mean, it was highly inadvisable. But mm-hmm. you know what she did, uh, you know, it turns out bigotry is, is a, is a human, it's kind of a natural sure. thing. People. Tribalism. That, that's that's yeah, something else I brought that. up on the Midnight Mormons. We just had it happen again on another Donald stream where, where they got a new construed definition of bigotry. That's a brand new definition that popped up in the year 2020. Flip used to love to to point to people what the actual definition of bigotry was before ideologues changed it, and yeah. uh, um, that well, that was like one of the moments. But he got kicked the... off of there for the word he used. The word that they cited saying that he got kicked off there for was bigot. And even though, yeah, and of course, and they use that word all of the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's and bigot is one of the most commonly used words in that group. But it's a you know, as long as you're calling Mormons bigots, they can do it all. And not day a long. person, yeah. and not a person in the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and like, and to contrast this, because I forget, you know, because I remember much earlier when I was like, "Come on, guys!" Is and, and I think it was the same group. It was probably the exact same group. But somebody down in Utah County in what was clearly an upper upper middle class neighborhood took a photograph of a cul-de-sac with a whole bunch of cars parked and complaining that the local ward choir had gotten together to rehearse. And they're like, why why do they have to do this at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon? And I'm just like, you know, and I just remember commenting like, those monsters. (laughs) Those animals, like really, yeah. this is your complaint that people get together and sing on Sunday afternoon. Would you rather live up by the university where it's frat boys throwing parties until three a.m.? Sure, sure. Like so, your complaint is well, nice people in nice clothes. But let me let me just. But that that is the worst. That's the worst. That is the worst of where people get to, and I would argue that John Delin would not 
say to it's okay to discriminate on a resume based on Mormonism, right? Yeah, like, that's probably true of Gundalin. So, I bet Larson. I'm just saying. I'm just saying one of the episodes that we pulled up um, our best with other people's work. Okay, like, that we, is we, the worst we reviewed that can happen for sure. But nobody, I don't think generally people would defend that. They're like, ooh, that's that's okay. Uh, but we reviewed on our channel. We reviewed one of John Larson's episodes where he says right out we pull it out we watch it we review it where he says people who are basically grounds workers at byu are complicit in lgbt suicide yeah. and they should quit their jobs and drop all their sorts of stuff and and we are not exaggerating that so we you're got saying it, they, we can, got it on they my can channel. get that extreme says they on, should sacrifice larson does podcast. Yeah. i see i would say also, larson does but it's not the link, groups but are he's on the link. Tell you, in in those in those many times when i've gotten in these specific types of arguments on next mormon groups I almost never get support. It's almost I agree. entirely and I agree. people who are taking the, the bigotry line. I feel the same way. And um, like, uh, someone... let me just say, I don't think we'd even have a channel if, if all we got back from Larson was like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we probably just wouldn't even started. Yeah, we would yeah. be doing other things. No, I, I agree with you. In fact, I, I, I was on Ex Mormon um, Facebook group and someone put a screenshot of this mom. That was, it was like, I didn't have a Moses experience. And so I was feeling bad that women don't get to have Moses experience. And then she goes and she flips it and she basically says, but I realized I do have Moses experiences in this, this, and this part of my life. And they were kind of traditional, like mothering type times. Right. And so this woman just like, oh my gosh, she can't see that she's like being used and abused. And this makes me sick. And I, I, I read that and I was like, this is a woman who has a goal to be the best mother that she can be. And you are basically not, um, <laughs> she was basically so, saying she has a internalized um, sexism in her yeah, post. Yeah. And I'm like, that is, I, that's one of the worst things to me. When someone yeah. says, I believe this, and then the counter side will say, oh, you don't actually believe that. You're just yeah. brainwashed. Or you don't yeah, actually definitely. believe that. It, the, that really bugs me, and I that I've tried to f to defend. You'd have to yeah, well, the psychology you know I mean? of somebody is who doesn't who who can't believe that that motherhood can be rewarding in and of itself. Yeah, and when like they and reject that anytime, idea, which is it's yes, creepy, and, it's scary, and when someone admits to like struggling and then coming around and then finding peace in some way through the church or through a scripture or something, yeah. then that is somehow. Um, internalized sexism. And it's like, no, actually, people's goal is to be a good mother, and they have a hard time. And here she is being like open and honest about struggling. And no, yeah. don't you see? She's and, upholding and, systems of oppression. She's yeah, perpetuating and, the idea that women exist only to have babies and blah. Yeah. And well, I just, um, I, I was just, I was just a little bit irritated that I, it irritates me when someone says this is my perspective and then someone else dismisses that perspective as like mm -hmm. you are it's in not credible perspective like yeah so I, let me no, just um, let me just finish up and then you should go into like what flip's history is but yeah, I, yeah. I just want to say that flip and i have a huge track record of being just as salty to mormon busybodyism sure we have oh, a huge boy. track record of that <laughs> That I'm but, sure all the ex-Mormon people would be uh, uh, completely uh, uh, fans of. But I, I do right think, now. I think we we do try to pick out when people are being busybodies. I think that's that is what we uh, ultimately try to go after. Yes, and but are you guys to... being busybodies? We'll come to that later. Well, sure. Like, I mean, that's because that, I mean, one way I can summarize this is that all of my complaints about John DeLynn and Mormon stories 
Like everything I don't like about John DeLynn is everything I don't like about church. It's a perfect overlap. It's, that's that's what okay. it, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's but my husband it's, would it's say that's what he finger like wagging about moralizing. Your <laughs> I don't I don't like finger wagging moralizing based on on you know bad pseudo intellectual sophistic faith based premises. Like I don't like that crap. Sure. I, and like you're welcome to go off and do it on your own, but you can't tell me that I'm any kind of bad person because I'm not on board with you. You know, that's emotional blackmail. You can go mm -hmm. to hell. I don't I don't go for that. Yeah. All right. So, you know, what's fun is that for my story, ironically, we could just do a teaser and 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 send people over to Dillon. But if it costs money, I don't want it. But I did a Mormon stories voices on the Mormon expression podcast. He had a sister podcast, The Voices. Where it was just exit unless stories, he, and I did mine. Unless he takes his that channel off. No, just kidding. I don't. I, wonder, I don't know <laughs> if it's there. I have no idea how to find it. But um, I don't know. We'll do this quick. I I had kind of a different upbringing, Mormon wise, in a lot of ways. One was because, like on my dad's side, patrilineally, it was Mormons right back to like 1830s. You know, really early. They're peppered all over church history, and uh, and so and also because growing up. Like a lot of the the really spicy historical stuff that like, you know, when I was a missionary, I was a missionary in Northern California where um, it was a lame place to be a missionary because basically everybody already had an opinion on Mormons because Mormons had been there almost as long as they had been in Utah by that point. And um, uh, so like, you know, we'd go tracting and people would bring up all kinds of historical stuff like polygamy and mountain meadows and blood atonement and all that crap. And, you know, we'd be walking away and my companion would be saying like, you know, oh, I, I can't believe the lies anti-Mormons will come up with. And I'd be like, well, no, no, that's not a lie. Like, that's true. It's not our faith. But like that stuff happened. And it was because for me, like growing up, Mormon history was family history. Like two of Joseph Smith's plural wives were my great great aunts. You know, that most commonly cited um, journal entry where Benjamin Franklin Johnson, he's my great 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 uncle. He describes how Joseph's approached him about um marrying his sisters and all that crap you know like they wrote some of the hymns and so that um nephi johnson was one of the oh, yeah. was a lieutenant at, at mountain meadows he was one of the perpetrators uh joanna brooks you know cites a, a an old family story about you know on his deathbed his last act was to start up from his fever dream and scream blood 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 and he died so like all this stuff i just grew up with all that on that side then meanwhile, my mom was is a convert and an immigrant from Brazil. So I had the whole convert thing smashed in there too. So that's part of it. But also, like, um, I don't know. I never had the faith thing in me. Like, praying never worked for me. Like, kind of like Chris Hanna said, like, you know, I tried the praying thing and I had to admit nothing ever happened. And um, how I, like, you know, when people ask me, like, why aren't you Mormon anymore? Like, Mormons say, why aren't you Mormon I used to, like, the shortest answer I can give is I no longer accept faith to be a reliable epistemic, you know? That, you that's the, do you not think that, like, when you go down to the bottom of your epistemology, you base it off of faith at some point? Well, perhaps. Like, I guess ultimately, as far as you dig, you, you dig down far enough and you'll reach one of those, well, I don't have an answer things. But I believe this on faith, that's... I can't do that anymore, you know? And I Not basically became an atheist. Level, anyway. Yeah, at the Mormon level. Like, I became an atheist in that, like, you know, I just like, oh, I, like, I realized, you know, like the Richard Dawkins argument was that, you know, God, God is an unnecessary 
uh, factor. Like you can explain everything without God just as easily as with, you know, and, and, you know, since then I've evolved to the point where, you know, it's, and it's actually something John Larson said way back in the day was that like, it doesn't matter. Like for me, the real answer to, is there a God is it doesn't matter, you know, like whether there is or isn't makes no difference, but I don't believe in a God. But then another thing about my ex-Mormon journey that was a little bit different, because, and I should say I was excommunicated 21 years ago. And I would say like, um, you know, and that was for wickedness. And, you know, I never felt bad. I, didn't, I shouldn't say I felt bad about it. I felt guilty for my wickedness. But, you know, a lot of people were like, aren't you mad at the church for throwing you out just for having sex with a girl? And I was like, no, I broke the rules. The rules, rules are the rules. I broke the rules. Wait, you, I, you I can get excommunicated for? He was a, he was a missionary. I, I was two ah. days from the end of my mission. Yeah, you can go dig it up on the Mormon expression voice. That's I crazy. tell the whole story there. Um, but uh, but most like you know how they kind of say. It's I wonder how many missionaries like, would be excommunicated if their extra uh, sexual relations were known. That's part of the problem. I I confess. I I. It's like right. I, I didn't get caught. I I turned myself in. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. Um, but but that's things because like because I always had the attitude of like, well, I made the promise, and the promise you got to go through the thing. You know, I was very kind of matter of fact, kind of autistic about it. You know, because mm -hmm. a lot of people, like a lot of other like my Mormon friends, were like, why'd you tell? I'm like, well, because they're supposed to be. That's honest. how it works. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but um. <laughs> I never went through the kind of tropey moment that like everybody, you know, where you go through your anti-religion phase. Like I was never anti-church and I never had this idea that, oh, we got to tear it all down. It needs to be destroyed. Every, you know, everybody else must matter, see like, what I, everybody else yeah. must see what I see. Yeah. yeah everyone else like, yeah. Cause you know, like you never went through an angry phase, huh? No, no, not at all. Not even a little? Like I feel no. like I was flip, flip, No, I did. I did a little bit, but I still never, I didn't push it on people, but if people came at me, I'd fire back. No, like I was always, yeah, for me, it was always kind of I, matter of fact. I definitely went through it. Like I definitely went through it. And I also, I, I was fighting it the whole time. Like I didn't want to go through it. Like I didn't want uh, to be that stereotypical, like, well, why can't you just yeah, leave it alone, right? Like, that's, but, and that's probably the critical personality difference between a, a your type and a Dillon type is that Dillon embraced the hate. Maybe. Um, you know, I, let, I looked the, at the it, Darth honestly. Vader, the, the Emperor thing. Let the hate flow through. So you. I, You're I, Skywalker. I've said, I need to say this because I, I haven't said Go it ahead. on the other podcast, but I've said a few times that, that I kind of technically was almost temple worthy for, for many years uh, when I was post Mormon. Yeah. And that's because I would date a Mormon girl and I tried to work stuff out with this Mormon girl. And whenever I was dating her, I was I was on the spot with everything, but I still just couldn't believe it. Right. And, and, so I tried to make sense of it. I tried to make it work. I tried to get, cause I was, cause I was uh, pretty crazy about her. And uh, I still, but I still just ultimately was honest and said, I can't make it work because of this. And, and I was following all the stuff to be almost, you know, not almost, I mean, it was temple worthy whenever I do that, but that, that whole phase. And I started dating her almost right at the beginning of my exit, you know? So that whole phase kind of helped curb me off of trying to see it differently of, of mm -hmm. dating somebody who was a, who was very religious, but I ultimately land on the point, like, I just can't, I can't work it out if you're going to be that intense about it to, to her and we couldn't work it out. But, and that, that also kind of brings out why I've said a couple of times that I've been almost temple worthy. And then other times I'll talk about that. I've tried drugs and stuff like that. It's because there was time, there was a time frame that I was with her that I, I was almost temple worthy. And then there was other time frames where I have not been temple worthy. Well, and I would say the reason I haven't, I, fundamentally, I believe that um, taking as much responsibility as you can, I mean, I, I, it was Jordan Peterson that actually gave me the courage to say what I think. And I didn't think 
that Joseph Smith did what he claimed to do. Like, I don't believe in that. Like, and so it was Jordan Peterson that gave me the courage to say what I was thinking and stop pretending well, I was, that I believe something I didn't. And I, I was the like ultimate proof of propagating it. things that I didn't think I had a good, you know what I, so like, I was, I'm parenting my kids, right? I have <laughs> ultimate hardcore proof of trying to do that. Cause so many Mormons will say, you just wanted to sin or want to do that sort of stuff. I lived a celibate, a very clean life. For on you know on and off for many years trying to work it out and then I just couldn't come to agreeing on the ultimate belief part and we couldn't work it out because of that and it was just yeah. that yeah but because of Jordan Peterson's influence I've been convinced that um, taking responsibility and and then I practice that and I feel much healthier and it gives me more control in my life than to say well the church did this to me and it's like well no. I had some chances where I could have confronted the dragon and I chose not to. And the dragon got bigger, right? Like that, that's the, the analogy that makes more, more sense to me. And it, uh, I, I don't know. So I was fighting it, but it's that, that spirit of resentment and bitterness was definitely there. And there's something that you actually, <laughs> anyway. you pointed this out to me and this is probably a truth. Flip and I both have half of our lives out now and yeah. we didn't spend a lot of our adult life in it. And that probably alters our perception a little bit. Yeah. And and sure. we, I've been and, out for 21 years now and I'm 42. Yeah. And yeah. I guess I just have a lot of compassion for people that are in a phase like that. Like, and I hope they don't live there forever because I, I think you can get stuck there and that, that's what I think. But, um, and so, but I don't, I'm not super the, judgmental. The thing is though, is like, that, you have no idea how strong that drive is to just when, especially when they're gaslighting you and they're like, we didn't try to keep this from you. And you go bring up the talk <laughs> by, that the mantle is far greater than the intellect. And you're like, really, you didn't try to hide this from anybody. Like, I'm sorry, you were not being, you were not being <laughs> but, forthright and honest yeah. and you're supposed there, to be. There's, I, it's hard to describe and, and Flip and I, I think we see so eye to eye on it. And it's almost kind of like, we see so eye to eye on it and we haven't talked about it. Why do we see it? We see all sorts of salty things about Mormonism that we have no problem with. Tons and tons and tons and tons of it. In fact, we'd promote it or put it on the podcast. Flip, Flip says salty stuff about Mormonism on my podcast all the time. Right, all right, the right, time. Yeah. Uh, we, we are not anti-saltiness yeah, about Mormon things. You guys do a really good job of stepping on all the cows so you have no viewers. Good job. Like for me, it's part of the anger thing. Like, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that go into not being Mormon anymore. But one of the things for me that, like, really st stuck with me a lot was was when I went on my mission. Okay. Was um, yeah, go back to flip. Because I said for a long, I, <laughs> I felt for a long time. Well, no, it's fine. It's not terribly interesting. But you know, I, I felt for a long time. I'd, I've wondered, you know, that if I had gone, if I had gotten the 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 fondest desire of my heart and been sent on a weird, wacky speaking foreign missionary in a strange place. If I would still be Mormon, because I went to Northern California. And so it basically flip, felt like going flip. to San. I speak Spanish. I went um, to second language acquisition in grad school. If there was a person on this planet who should have been given the hardest language to speak, it's flip. Yeah. Flip is, he is blessed with the gift of language. I would have. Yeah. I mean, I do it for fun and, and I would have easily done it for God, but also, but the thing is, so because I went to basically America, just slightly less Mormon. Um, so try to tie this back in. Growing, I grew up in a really screwed up family, and Mormons 
obviously push family, 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 family. And that's the big push. And like, I, you know, I went on my mission in 1999 and which was like, when did the proclamation on the family come out? Like a couple of years before that, you know, that was our, our primary, uh, 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 proselytizing thing. It was our most effective pamphlet, all this crap. Yeah. Meanwhile, here I am as a missionary and I am going inside. I see the inside of a thousand homes and I see all these Mormon homes and I see all these non-Mormon homes and I see, you know, suburban Mormon homes and I see rural Mormon homes and non-Mormon, you know, the combination of everything. And like in the whole time, I'm kind of just taking like an informal personal survey. And I realize Mormon families aren't any different on the whole than non-Mormon families. I couldn't see, I couldn't see anything there, you know, and which was like the number one thing we were pushing was like, well, we family, 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 family. You know, and like a kind of a similar thing was that like when I saw how like the mission office, when I went into the mission office, like and I and I'm not sure exactly what I was expecting, but I very quickly realized like that it was indistinguishable from any other job or school or business or anything else I'd ever been involved in, you know, and like and people are making dumb decisions, counterintuitive decisions, bad ones, you know. And but mostly that thing about like just going around and seeing a society that was basically you know american white middle class except i grew up in the salt lake valley but then i just went one time zone over to where it was like i say it was like sandy but less mormon and i could see no discernible difference mormons were no different other than their particular beliefs but every yeah so i i, I said that too long but i think you get my point you know well, that I was a big part of realization when i got into uh, presidency callings in my head, I was like, oh, I, I really believe God's directing callings and directing, you know, that is the the person pulling the strings is God, like at yeah. every organization in the church. And when I got up into a presidency calling, I was like, we would pray to put someone in a calling and then the bishop would trumpet. And there didn't seem to be any... Like it was just being ran like a business. It wasn't being directed by God. It was being directed by people's like it was being directed by people. So, just like you know, I can't I do have a good story actually because I talking about this, I haven't told these stories in a while. But I can remember the moment that um, my faith in priesthood authority just kind of went poof, um, which was that sort of I was about probably about six months into my mission. I had a companion that was just for a million reasons, he had a lot of issues and he shouldn't have been on a mission for all kinds of emotional things. And he made my life hell. And uh, and my mission president, God bless him, like he was a wonderful man, but a terrible president as far as managing people was concerned. And and I was in my, uh, you know, my uh, six, every six weeks you have your interview with the president. And, and I was trying to talk to him about my companion who was like breaking my stuff, throwing things and causing all kinds of problems and packing up to leave. And, you know, and I was just and like, and that thing's like, I'm like, I'm, I'm six, three and 250 pounds. This guy was six, five and 300 pounds. Like I was actually afraid of this guy and, and I'm getting nowhere with the president. And at one point I say, president, I can't control how people react. And he says, maybe that's your problem, Elder Johnson. And I said, I need to control how people react. And he smiled and nodded. And I went, okay, let's pray. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> and so that was like part one. And then immediately after that, I said, president, that BMW of yours, is that a six or an eight? 
because I had heard rumors early on that the mission president had brought his BMW Z3 sports car with him, which he was obviously not supposed to do. And one day I had gone to the mission home and I, because I had been told, I'd been tipped off, go to the garage, you'll find a sports car in there. And I went and I saw it. So I'd already seen it. And I said to the president, like, president, that, that BMW, is that a six or an eight? He goes, what are you talking about, Elder Johnson? I'm like, president, the BMW, the Z3, is that a six cylinder or an eight cylinder? He goes, what's a cylinder, Elder Johnson? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so not only do you not talk to God and give terrible advice, but you're also breaking the rules and smiling about it just like everyone else. You know, and like, and that, that really was a key moment where I'm like, oh, there is no priesthood authority is nothing special. It's a job title. That's it's that's just that. Yeah, yeah. but let, let, let me uh, jump off of that to say one of my things about coming out of the uh, critical theory religion, as I, as I call it, is realizing that those societies compared to other societies were very, very good societies, including this Mormon one in the 90s in Provo in Utah, and they weren't perfect. Nothing was ever going to be perfect from the start. Um, but the uh, the critical social justice world about them has a very skewed view of what the whole entire thing is, or that Mormons were, you know, creating the, the point of view that Mormons were particularly extra super bad and, yeah. and that sort of deal. Well, you know, I've, I've listened to Telltale. Um, he's an ex-Jehovah's Witness, and he talks about how Jehovah's Witnesses are just the nicest, nicest people. But there's a caveat. They're nice to their own kind. They're really not that charitable to people outside. And so if if you're talking about 90s Utah, most everybody is Mormon. And so are they being nice because they're part of the same group? And we do have a like the whole tribal thing. It's like, we'll be well, nice to I, people in our own group. It, not, it's not, it, it's not like, perfect, but compared to what society? You know, well, that's, I'm just, that's always yes. the, the Thomas Sal question. Yes, an, I have an anecdote all I'm about this. Out, all I'm pointing that, out is that like if someone – would someone that was Christian in the nineties in Utah have that same feeling or would they feel ostracized? So ostracized, but could they survive and thrive in that society in a very liberal way? Maybe when I was, um, yes, so my, they my absolutely friend, could. <laughs> my best friend growing up was raised basically the- atheist <laughs> in, in, and they, uh, in holiday Utah. Okay. And, uh, like he was my age and he had a little sister. And they had only ever been, in fact, they are, in fact, direct descendants of William Clayton. But anyway, um, uh, they were both raised basically atheists, never had any religion in Holiday, Utah. I asked my friend, the boy, you know, what was it like? What, how did the Mormons treat you? Like, what was it like in junior high and high school? And he said, like, oh, they, sometimes they would ask. I would say no, and it was no big deal. You know, one of them gave me a Book of Mormon. I took it home. I tried to read it. It was boring. But, yeah, no big deal. No, and he basically had nothing to say. I asked his little sister, and I said, well, "How did the Mormons treat you?" And he said, "They were evil. They were so bad. They were, you know." But the thing is, they were talking about how the boys acted and how the girls acted. Now, granted, we're talking about teenage girls, so there's a special we have to carve that out. But you know, like just so, just there. I mean, same place, same time, just boy or girl you'll have radically different also experiences different personalities i'd argue i think if you sure. have like a, a stoic yeah, personality a stoic yeah. personality you're going to be able to look at it more like chris is saying where it's like you can still thrive but there are some people where maybe a well, part of their personality needs to be accepted by the broader community and they're going to struggle well but still well, the salt because so much of ex-mormon world larson comes from rural rural utah 
The land comes from Houston. Even the yeah. Midnight Mormons are coming from California, Canada, and all that stuff. I, I'm sorry, Salt Lake City was liberal. Kind. It was liberal. It was 50-50. Yeah. My oh. friends were 50-50 believers and non-believers. And it was almost kind of like I, I review it. It wasn't great on the gay stuff, for sure. Uh but Except that's that because of what high. society was yet at that point. But, e but at the same East point, high was the first the gay club. East, thing, East High School, yeah, yeah. And, and that was my senior year. But well, the magic of it was that it was, you just said it. It was 50 50. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. and you and, go out into the rural Utah, it's not 50 50. And that's yeah. where. And I'm sure it was tougher and rougher. But that's, that's, that's also you're getting a skewed view of what Mormonism is. Because I would say the hub, the center of Mormonism was Provo and Salt Lake, Utah. And Provo and Salt Lake, Utah. I'm sorry, since the 90s, it's it's been a liberal bastion. And that's that's even one of my largest complaints with the Lynn and Larson these days is like, you guys are coming at people who are way closer to you than you think. Yeah. And and why you're going around painting them that way is is just uh is just mind-blowing to me. That my parents yeah. are closer to the to the Lynn than they are to me. Like the you know? the rural, the rural, the super conservative rural Mormons absolutely exist, and God bless them, they grow all the food. But yeah, the vast population of American Mormons are suburban, moderate. It's who the Midnight centers. Mormons are critical it's of, the, and, and yeah. if I, I, I come well, on in kind of good faith with the Midnight saying. Mormons, but if I was to push on them, I think the Midnight Mormons depict suburban Salt Lake Mormons in a way that's that's detrimental to Mormonism. I, I think that society was a very open, very pluralistic, very almost as pluralistic as all societies through all history, which nobody ever does comparison through all things. Yeah. It's one of the most pluralistic societies in history ever. Yeah, no, I, I have I realized a few like in the last few years that like I think like the peak of of openness and acceptingness in American society was like 1997. Yeah, because like, the progressivism is going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I, I think I think it peaked with the with the Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yep. You know, and Salt Lake. I, I, well, I'm in a band. We have a joke about it. But I, one of my, one of my songs I write, I write is about how Salt Lake City people are trying to pretend like they get it, and that's always that's my joke about them the whole time. They, they pretend like they're NPR friendly, and my, I call them NPR Mormons or Mitt, Mitt Romney Mormons, and that's what they've always been. That's what I've known them as for for 20 years. Like the guy who writes in the Atlantic. They, they, they. The vast majority of that central hub of Mormonism is trying and has been trying to pretend like they get it. And they're far more on the yeah. critical social justice side they are now than on the anti-woke side. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the, average, my mission. the average in that area. My mission that was very interesting was that, like, you know, I, I spent probably about half of it basically in the suburbs of Sacramento. So, you know, pretty, pretty left-leaning and democratic. And then I spent about half of it in very Republican rural um mormon land and, and you know that was Where another was that? um uh like reading specifically the place i'm thinking about was a uh, cottonwood anderson is south of reading you know and like because you know because I, I still i remember to this day there was the one day that uh, a priesthood meeting got hijacked into a 45 minute conversation about gun rights you know but but that was in a cattle ranch in town you know uh, but like uh oh. Whereas, yeah, as, as I went south. It's hard to it as one big thing, though, right? Because there are all these pockets of very different things. Yeah, well, no, and that's another thing that I learned. that Because, like, I don't know. Because I still get in this fight with both, both Mormons and ex-Mormons alike. I still have this fight with this, the whole Utah Mormon versus not Utah Mormon thing. Because I went out there. Everybody told me that. And, like, you know, for example, one of my area changes, I literally moved down the road. 
like it was a mile down the road. It was the like the next ward over in the same stake. And it was night and day between those two, even though like it, it was it was literally like going from from Sandy to Draper. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Like same thing, like eco socioeconomically very similar and all that. And yet one ward was super awesome, faithful, great membership, lots of activity. And the other one was a nightmare of toxicity. Go figure. Yeah. Well, but the, I, the I, wards I grew up in were super open. My, my dad's first counselor, my dad was a bishop, his first counselor, his son came out as gay after the mission. Uh, all the, the counselors and the bishops and all that stuff went to his gay wedding. And that, that's, my parents are glued to MSNBC all day and my dad's a stake patriarch. And that's the average of the people that they live and grow, grow around. And, and that it's just such a thing that's not even represented. And I've kind of made this joke. And that's the other part of our channel. I do that more with Kevin, but we're going to do it now um with flip and jared that because kevin's a believer who i do shows with and kevin and i have spent more time looking at how byu is going woke and uh the, the quick media level of stuff and how the, the religious side is is getting into all this stuff and you got the lean who's coming at them as if they're all maga crowd whatever whereas yeah. i think this npr byu mormon is one of the huge misrepresentations that's coming from that uh, Mormon stories channels that that BYU is way closer to the and they're doing this Hegelian di dialectic and they're all aiming at the same place and they're gonna arrive there. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's like the, to they're up gonna my, get there. They're gonna get to the same place. Right. The the thing. Yeah, that, you have to wrap up your thing. To, to wrap up my thing though about the the nature of wards, I can say also that like from from my limited experience, the best wards are the ones that have a nice cross section. Like the ward I'm thinking of was really interesting because it was a college town. So it had like this little dense liberal scholastic, uh, you know, middle-class element to it, but it was also very rural. It was um, a, a, an agricultural area. And then there was also like, cause, so the ward had like farmers, professors and students, um, uh, a multimillionaire who made a fortune breeding, creating genetic strains of rice, you know? So like there was some money there too, because of like the university and grants and stuff. And then also like our ward incorporated um, a, a, a subsidized housing thing and a retirement home. And that was absolutely the best, most vibrant ward I was in. It was the happiest ward I was in, you know? And that's things like just my, my little, what I saw is that the, the less, the more monocultural your ward is, the worse it is. It's well, that good actually, to have that nice, that, good cross section of that everything. That makes sense. That backs up. Well, that reinforces my belief because it's like I, I like Jonathan Haidt's work, and he kind of makes the claim that uh, we're really terrible at coming to truth on our own, and we have to actually have people that oppose our ideas to bring us closer to the truth. And it seems like a good ward, if you say good, it's going to be a ward that is aligned closer to reality and closer to the truth. And you're going to have that when you have opposing someone you trust that is willing to be like, eh, you're kind of off track there. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. We all need we all need to push back. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of us are ready to hear it, and some of us aren't. And I guess it depends on the subject. But. Right. Um, okay, Flip. Did you finish? Like, okay, where did we get to? I, you? I don't know. I don't know where we are. You? Well, you. <laughs> you're, you're driving <laughs> this train. No, how did you, you get? Wanted, yeah. How are oh. you at where you're at? You, I don't. Oh, I think we totally cause... went off on a tangent. <laughs> I don't think Flip. Flip was. Flip was this when I met him 20 years ago. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think so. He's, he hasn't changed his politics even... at all. I've, I was, I was far more like you met flip flip got sort of semi like famous by 
arguing with this Christian on regular radio, on regular <laughs> oh, yeah. daytime radio. And he became like flipped the atheist and he'd be on this regular radio yeah, station. Is. We got invited to go have, have like a dinner with them. And we had a dinner with them. And this was before Mitt Romney's election or something like that. And they got up to pray. Yeah, he got up to pray and he got down. I got this, uh, this uh, mega church guy to get up and pray for Obama. Because I asked him, like, why aren't you praying for Obama? You should get up there and pray for Obama. And he got up there and, and he prayed for him. Yeah. What was that guy's name? For, uh, Stu Epperson. If you look um, uh the Truth Network, Truth Talk Live, the Truth Network, Stu Epperson. It's it's a national. Oh, it's national no, it's, it's, a, it's like they're based in, I think, I don't know, somewhere back east. But oh. yeah, like <laughs> just one day I was driving around and I, I had a job that had me driving around and I was listening to the radio. And I mean, again, just my nature. I, I have always, I don't know. It, one of the things that drives all, me all nuts we hear the, something that we don't yeah. agree with and we say something. That's, that's well, all no, one of the things that drives me so personally crazy about like the Dillon wokey types is that like f for them to deign to lecture anybody about openness, diversity, the importance of investigating claims you don't believe for them to deign to, 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 to talk down to anybody about that is already insulting enough. But to do that to me is just triple unbelievable <laughs> insulting. Cause like I'm a multi-ethnic polynational or multi-ethnic multilingual polynational you know, child of an immigrant. And, and I, I spent years listening to Christian talk radio until I felt like I had heard everything they had to say. And it was specifically because I disagreed with them that I listened. To so much and my friends would think i was crazy but yeah one day i was listening and they said, we want to hear from atheists with... yeah we want to hear from atheists and so i called them up and i talked to them and i ended up going back on the show a few times and yeah we got invited to this this fundraiser and it was just brilliant because everybody got up because it was during when mitt romney was running against obama and it was just funny because everybody's going up there there's like i know he's a mormon but we got to pray for mitt you know and it was just brilliant it was just beautiful because after we're all just talking together and chris had his like Obama's the president now. Shouldn't we pray for him? And so he shamed them. He shamed gets back them. up. They, yeah. They, they like they fired off like a quick prayer for Obama. It was the best thing. Yeah. This was the fundraiser for Mitt Romney in Utah for the evangelical Christian crowd. And I got him to pray for Obama really? at it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, how do I get here? I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Well, okay. I, the last Flip's thing I remember been, when you were talking, here. you got excommunicated. <laughs> I think you got up to that point. And then oh, yeah. So, like, you, yeah, I'll, it kind I'll, of just. Described... I guess I can tell this story. So, I went okay. through a period of. In fact, you know, I'll, I, okay, I can tell. I, I can sort of put this thread together. So, I got excommunicated and they gave me the letter and, and the list of things to do. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I can remember, um, like, because I, I left the stake center. And I drove straight to Walmart and I bought boxer shorts. And then I went home and I took off my garments. And I do remember feeling an almost religious sense of relief, like an almost physical sensation taking off my garments and going, this is a weight off of me. But um, so I had weekly meetings with my stake president, who was awesome, by the way. Um, that's another thing I get to say against the ex-Mormons for my personal story is that I, I know and I believe and I have met the terrible leadership that is out there. But I can say that my leadership was excellent to me. In fact, they went far beyond what anybody would expect um, for me. So, but anyway, my stake president, like six months into these meetings, I, I remember saying to my stake president exactly these words. I said, president, I haven't turned my back on the church, but I just don't want to do it right now. And he said, 
okay. And that was the last time I ever went to church in any formal way. And then, you know, a few years of just kind of kicking around, like I became, you know, basically less and less faithful. Like I just, you know, cause I still kind of believed in a God, but I got to kind of a deistic place. And then, yeah, it was um, lame as it is. It was reading the God delusion by Richard Dawkins after reading a whole bunch of other stuff, but I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it's just something where, you know, like that, where Richard Dawkins put basically puts it as, God does not explain anything and everything, you know, suffices without God. And that was my moment. Where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm an atheist, you know, and but by that time I was pretty much done. You know, there was very little chance of me ever going back to Mormonism. I don't that, think because and part of it for me, although, is that like, I never liked church, you know, because this is the thing you can tell like John DeLynn liked church. You can tell he did. He would because he would have been a stake president in church. You can tell that John, John DeLynn probably liked all the things. Yeah, about church I, that I, I never ate. fit into church. Yeah. yeah. I church was always boring. I never liked it. It was always boring. And I always wanted to do more reading and research on my own, you know, like that was another one of my little moments was um, in the MTC. When I went into the MTC, I had um, ordered a bunch of books to do research on. And one of the books I bought at the BYU library, I bought uh, religions of the world, which was a BYU course book about religions of the world. I took an institute class. That was that title. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you probably it might have been that book. I don't know when it was a new edition, but I brought it with me to the MTC. And like and so one day I'm in class and I pull out all my books and my MTC professor says, what's that? He's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, it's this book about religions of the world. He's like, no, that's got to go. I brought a bunch of books about the religions of Mexico on my mission. I had to get rid of them, too. Yep. No, that's got to go. Yeah. Hmm. Um, You know, that's I, I read the Book of Mormon one time on entirely on my mission, but I read Jesus the Christ twice. That's part of part of the problem with Flip and I is we are painfully curious. You know, like yeah. I, I really don't like Michel Foucault. I've read probably eight or nine books of Michel Foucault. <laughs> not not many people who read that much Foucault. And I hated most every second of that. Huh. And uh, we spend time with the stuff that we don't like. We get curious, we get painfully curious about it. And yeah. uh, um, I don't know. Uh, like, I mean, yeah. just an, I mean, um, one example out of a million of these is like uh, when Ferguson happened. Michael Brown died and Ferguson happened and there was this movement and everybody was on Facebook and everybody yelling about police are murdering young black men willy-nilly all this stuff and I was like oh my god and then I immediately went into a giant deep dive on it and I have watched every bit of police body cam shooting incident I've read the entire Michael Brown report like and a million other things like I've read I read the the trial transcripts of Trayvon Martin. I have gone into this, you know, and 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 it, it drives me crazy because I get into these arguments with people now where I say, you know, like Michael Brown didn't have his hands up and was not in an act of surrendering with his hands up when he was shot. And they act like I'm crazy. And then it just, you know, and it's just this where it's like you never even looked. You never even looked. 5 minutes. 5 minutes is all it takes for you to find out that that story is not true, which is not to say that Everything's fine, but and two different DAs found out true. it wasn't true. Yeah, and, and a DA yeah. even ran on finding the truth about it. And after getting yeah. elected, came out and said, "Okay, it's yeah. not true." Yeah, you know, but, and, and but just that. So like, so I dug into it. I was like, "Oh my god!" Well, I mean, another example of this was that uh, when uh, trapped in the closet, the Scientology episode of South Park ran. Like that, that show ran at ten o'clock. I was still awake at seven in the morning reading through <laughs> Scientology documents that I had Man. downloaded off of WikiLeaks. I've got crazy about Scientology <laughs> like, for a while. But... I got crazy about it. Yeah. 
the part of the thing of all this too, a part of what we've been through and saw, we're kind of on the front lines of watching every single moment of it was the atheism movement and how that atheism movement blew up. Yeah. And uh, we were big fans, both of us, of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. We were right there watching as all that stuff fell into purity spiraling. And we, we've, just, we've just been around the block, you know, kind of with a lot of stuff, both of us. And we were both right there just kind of looking at it. Yeah. And, um, okay. So that gets, that gets flipped out of the church. And then um, I guess Chris already summarized a lot of your guys because that was paralleled a little bit is there anything else you want to add like how you were in obviously on board with the atheism ex-mormon stuff at some point and then you just kind of gradually we, went, well, we both we both still like john larson's mormon expression yeah mormon expression podcast is still the best ex-mormon content hands down easy peasy now, John Larson that's, that's from given 12 to 10 years ago. To. Have you I, listened to RFM much lately or no, at all? I, very I listened to little bits of him. So RFM's kind listened. of been a blind spot for me. So I haven't listened to all of his stuff. I've act, By the time I, um, I – I like the – he feels balanced to me when he's on Mormonism Live, and I liked him on there. But eventually I just I, – um, I didn't find it useful to spend my time there, and so I, I, I just kind of got out of the habit of watching it. Um, but I liked, I liked him a lot because I felt like he didn't really insert his opinions very much. He would just stay basically to what he found out or. That's what, what I, we loved about Larson back then. Okay. We, we had no idea what his politics were. Yeah. He was really good at, at, cause, cause for example. It sounds like what you're had, trying to say about Larson is kind of how I feel toward, uh, RFM. I feel like RFM does a really great job. I'm sure. Um, but that part of, part of the reason we don't know RFM and all those other guys is because we got to a point maybe 10 years ago where we kind of fell away from yeah. watching every single ex-Mormon podcast. There's and, not enough time and, in the world. There's too much. And then well, no, well, still, we, we even stopped. We didn't care so much anymore. And then there's been this new interest as we come back that, that there's almost been this flip that the Mormon side, the apologists like the Midnight Mormons know more of their arguments than they know of their arguments. Yeah. There's, been this, there's been this reversal that's happened. Well, there's also well, this except for a lot of well, eventually people, you've heard it eventually you've basically heard it all you know that's the other thing where like i don't really listen to it all that much because like i don't need to hear another takedown of joseph smith and the kid like you know? we see the kinderhook plates we've seen we've heard five yeah like on the yeah plate. you know and every once in a while something new comes out because that, that's where i'm at with scientology where it's like I, I i emptied the internet of everything it had to say about scientology and you know <laughs> then i'm in a couple of groups where they will talk about news and that's you know that's kind of where i'm at with mormons it's the same thing where it's like i basically emptied the internet the reason we're here though is again because like John DeLynn and Larson caught you know they asked for they asked for comments we gave it to them and then they treated us like shit for it one of the things i would say that differs i promise you this differs us from all activists and even those guys is like we have an endpoint we're not going to be in this forever because we're trying to make money or a living off of it or yeah. any sort of thing like that and like if if they said oh hey we get your point on that <laughs> we probably back yeah. off of them uh, yeah, exactly. We don't have like an eternal like growth model. <laughs> we're gonna keep pushing this yeah. forever and ever. <laughs> you know, we're not just there's any sort of point or we accept we accept apologies. Like if Larson said, "Oh yeah, I remember that night." Okay, you, you know, <laughs> let it go. You know, yeah. it's it's uh we're we're not we're not like I said. I don't advertise my podcast out. It's just there for people who kind of see the same thing and want to hear some solidarity in it. Yeah. And uh, um, no, I don't even want to advertise it out. We're doing the same thing that that everybody else is doing is we're, we want like-minded people to know you're not crazy. 
Like if if, if John Delin feels a me. lot like yeah. church, you're not crazy. Yep. Delin, like I didn't have much complaints about Delin up through his um up through his uh, excommunication, and then he's just yeah. started. My my yeah. original thing that I was pointing at Delin about because originally we came out with Larson because Larson was doing the woke stuff more than we thought. Delin, even though he he weasels in, but we don't think Delin's a true believer. We kind of just think he's just yeah. a guy who goes along with anything that sounds good to his audience. But um, yeah. the I, the Delin, what what started irritating me about Delin was stuff about him signaling one way. Well, I, I don't want to bring it up, but we know he had accusations, and then he goes the other way on due process. So I made this yeah. episode, the only episode that's gotten a ton of views on my thing, where I point out some some of his double speak on that where he says, believe all women, except for the women that accuse me. And then part of one of the things that I point out in that whole angle is that my view, my liberal view of due process, by the end of it, I say is, you got to take this from a point of, it's a he said, she said situation. You can't, you can't make a decision off of that. So it's, it's ultimately defending Back before defending I was him more than 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 left wing identitarians. Yeah. Back before yeah. I was banned from that group too, I got in a big flame war on Lindsay Parks on more feminist Mormon housewives during that exact time for for advocating for due process, and they all hated me for that. So we're defensive to Lynn for his due process, but then yeah. he also comes right out and puts out these things yeah. about about Kavanaugh and, and that's yeah, thing, that's yeah, like, we yeah. pointed at. We want the that, same thing for Kavanaugh as we want like, for John DeLynn, but John DeLynn, DeLynn does not want the same thing for DeLynn, Kavanaugh. As you give the DeLynn. Kavanaugh what we give to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I I remember when that was all happening, and I had I had similar thoughts running around that. Like and see, and yeah. I so I can remember back in the Mormon Expression days. Because, you know, that was when Lindsay was starting to really ramp up the feminism critical stuff. And there was a few times that John, like, he wouldn't come right out and attack feminism, but he zinged feminism. He he zinged him. He, he'd, zing, he'd zing allyship. Yeah, he'd zing allyship. And, he you know, and he kind of like, hinted at the fact that this, like, you can't be an ally. Yeah. They won't ever let you be an ally. Or it's, it's a, dis- yeah, it's a way a to corral like, people by using this ally stuff. And that was Larson. But yeah. yeah, like I don't imagine him doing something like that now. No, 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 no. Now he's gone all the way. All right, let's let's get into some of the stuff we were talking about before we started recording. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up is um, how we have like a certain intent of when you're creating content or anything. Like, so you have an intent. How do you make it? Um, shoot, I lost the word for it. Uh, productive. But that's not the word. Effective. Yeah. Well, like we're so, I mean, we just barely started. I've got something like we've got, I've got like 130 subscribers. Our views get like 200, 300 every once in a while, something more close to over 500 or something like this. We're not, we're not making major waves. So at some point, all we're doing is, 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 is just appealing to like-minded people. Like Flip said, like saying, Hey, you're not crazy. You can come listen here. Right. Like, is it a problem to just, I don't think it's a problem when, I no, think it's, it's I don't problem, think it's a problem not, right now when we're such a minority. It's it's a problem, but like it's a, not a problem of our making. We may we're we're talking in our podcast to our little community because we have been thrown out of the broader community. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I, like they they. Put I don't feel like here. I've been thrown out, but I um, I, I definitely uh. Okay, so when you're in the church, you feel. Like there are just some things you can't say out loud, right? And I definitely yeah. feel that in ex-Mormon spaces where unless I have a pretty 
a solid relationship with someone, there are just certain things that I avoid talking about or saying because I'm like, if they know this about me, they're going to assume this about me, which is not true. And then they're not going to want to be around me. And yeah. and if I care about developing a relationship like that, like, however, I have been shocked at how little politics really matter. Like I have felt, I've made a bunch of ex-Mormon friends and they're awesome. And that's kind of gotten me to this place where I'm like, maybe what we think we know is really a lot less important how we act in the world. Right. Like, um, yeah. I don't know. I just, uh I think yeah. I absolutely think a ton of them are like, I don't think people are dumb in any way, shape or form. Right. Well, neither I do think, I. Um, I think, I think it's actually an exceptionally smart community. Uh, the, the whole ex Mormon world It's just, they have blind spots. Like we all have blind spots, well, I've, but I've had people admit to me certain things that they would not say when all of the whole group is together. I've had people admit them yeah. to me because they know I, I claim to be conservative. Only I, I, I basically I leave it there. I don't actually get um, I, I don't usually talk about the specific things that I'm saying as conservative. And generally, when I say conservative, I mean, I'm skeptical of critical theory. That's one of the things I feel like makes me conservative, even though I am yeah, actually OK with Flip well, and I might be called far right extremists or something like that, and we're probably more liberal than you are. Yeah, you know, maybe but it's yeah. not very possible, actually. <laughs> no, it, it's not possible. It's a ten thousand times probably have true. I been told that I'm a Trump-loving conservative, all this other crap. Like, I yeah. mean, I joke that I'm a far radical centrist. <laughs> but, but, well, yeah, that like, I actually have had that thought that maybe being this uh, middle road is also another way to be like I'm better than these liberals or these conservatives like i'm in the middle so i'm better like it, you have the same tribal issues no matter where you feel like you fit but yeah um uh, i don't i don't i honestly i mean everybody at some level it's about themselves but i honestly don't think it's about me like, i i sincerely i think to be in our spot you kind of have to don't care if people think you're good because a yeah. lot of people are going to think you're bad but you do and, need you do need like community like on every level like you yeah, my, my community is not thrive. that community. Humans don't you know, thrive. I, I have other well. communities. And I think a lot of I think a lot of ex-Mormons should be looking for other communities. I have other communities that aren't don't have anything to do with Mormonism, ex-Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah, this is the yeah, thing where John Larson has kind of flipped back again. Because remember, there was a time after like kind of his last messages from Mormon expression, and then you know, he did a couple like sunstone things, and his whole message was leave ex-Mormonism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. But now he seems to have kind of squirped right back in and said, well, most of the friends I make, that's their goal too. They kind yeah. of want, they want to be supportive for people that are in the thick of it. And they're going through all that like turmoil of when yeah. you write, when you leave, but they're really like, I, I really would rather not talk about it. Can we go play some games now? Like that, yeah. that is, that's the feeling that I get from most of the, the gatherings I go to. Yeah. That's See, great. Thing is like, I, yeah. Cause, cause you know, I've been out so long that like, for me, it's just like, Oh, okay. You know, like it, I just—it it doesn't fill so my flip, mind like it did, you know, for a lot of years afterwards. Flip here ran a thing downtown Salt Lake called Sunday Breakers, and it was basically <laughs> almost kind of like a Sunday, sort of like ex-Mormon church. Yep. Breakers it for breakfast. Yeah. And he had a ton of people, ton of ton of ton of people, just always coming to it and always coming out. And the, these weren't the subjects we talked about. You know, oh. sometimes it was off into soccer, sometimes it would flip into this, but it, it, it would—it uh, was just people talking, and usually flip. Once again, to defend what he says about his diversity, he was he was 
carting us off to some weird restaurant of some <laughs> weird ethnic food to to have us all go try it out and and because flip lives in that world like people wouldn't even understand i do too on a level because i mean i i live in spanish most of the time of my life my my girlfriend's venezuelan and and i've worked in spanish for the past five years but flip that's kind of one of the things that flip and i sneer at is they they by these identitarians, we get called certain things and they have no idea how involved in ethnic world uh, we yeah. are. But the 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 level of it is, is that we, we've kind of tried to make that community. And even that flips thing kind of started falling apart because people got got at each other's throats as soon as the the the, the current day you know, politics. Yeah, politics it's a new religion. It really is. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like politics yeah. have uh, taken over. Uh, what, what is most important and um, I don't I, it bothers me it is really hard to maintain a group of people that you don't have something in common and I think that's what generally the secular world is lacking like I there's part of me that I feel bad that I can't support some religious community because they all have to make these like claims that I can't get on board with so I don't feel like I can go there but I, I do think that the strongest argument for religion, not for God, but for religion in general, is that that common thing that holds you together, like glue that holds you together. And so it's like a paradox. It's like you have a glue that holds you together and it's a dogma, basically, and you can't touch the dogma. But if you can't touch the dogma, then it becomes like this tyrannical you can't say what you're actually thinking. So it's just, I don't know. So, how to so, that so many evolutionary psychologists have gotten into this. You, you got, you got, the, oh, who was it was talking about the Jainism that, um, oh, I forget his name, but Jeffrey Miller was talking about uh, how maybe religion was a cork that kept, uh, kept uh, this extra uh, political violence that, that, you know, Nietzsche and Dostoevsky, you know, predicted since forever ago that, that as soon as you get rid of the religious religion, it all becomes political religion. And that's just how it goes. But then you could always point back and say, well, then the religious religion got political. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's the battle of evermore that we're all in. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a paradox that I, I wrestle with a lot and, I don't, and the way that I've been moving David forward. Sloan, David Sloan Wilson. Sorry, that's another uh, evolutionary psychologist. Sorry, oh, sorry. okay. Well, yeah. And so the way that, like, the way we've been acting out, how we've been going about our our lives is, like, well, we live in a LDS community, and my girls and my kids are friends with um, the neighbors, and they invite them to keep going to church and activities, and they have yet to actually want me to go to church with them. So we haven't gone to, like, a church service um, I have because I had a neighbor invite me because she was speaking at church, but um, I, my kids, they, they want to go. And I think it's probably because some of the messaging they're getting at their activities. And then when I ask them like, well, do you want to go to church tomorrow? And then they're like, nah, <laughs> like, so they yeah. just don't. So I, I'm willing to support my kids. I'm not willing to drag them there because um, I had this argument with my brother because he, he's wondered, like, are you, are you, living off of their work. Like you're not helping support this thing. That's a good thing. And you're not working for it. But, um, I, yeah, so, I, I struggle Liz, with that. Some, some of the, the, I don't know, like, um, cause Jordan Peterson's religion, right. Cause it's, he's a fascinating guy. Cause he talks about God and believing in God, but like, you know, Chris Hanna points out is that, you know, Jordan Peterson doesn't say anything about God that an atheist couldn't affirm. You know, and so like, because you know, that kind of religion is a religion that makes as much sense as anything. But yeah, so, nobody but weirdos like Jordan Peterson 
treat religion like that. You know, the reality yeah. is that yeah. most believers are literal believers, and they're not looking at it in all these Jungian archetypes. Yeah. So Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Hansen. I mean, I I see eye to eye with Jacob Hansen a lot of stuff, but he takes Peterson's exact words and falls to the it's all true religion. You know, I can take his exact words and fall to the side of like, well, let's take this from a purely atheistic view, yeah. and. There, there's definitely a lot of those concepts, but like I said, part of part of what I'm up here defending, I've said from the beginning, is sometimes I'm defending beliefs that aren't necessarily my beliefs. Like I said, part of the caricatures that Larson and Delin make are caricatures against my family and my fam. I'm the black sheep. I'm the one who's out of the church. And people say like Mormonism doesn't isn't like a perfect fit for some people. I know I got out, but there's a bunch of people in Mormonism who it fits like a glove for, and they yeah. got great little lives, and they're good little people, and they're busting their butts and doing everything right, and it, and it doesn't seem to, to be affecting any of them in, in that negative way. Maybe they, maybe it's happened to some of them that I don't even know about. But my parents, who are glued to MSNBC all day, and my dad's a state patriarch, and my older brother, who's glued to NPR all day, he works at works at you know Domo or, or whatever, and, and they live this NPR Mormon life. They they are not what Delin and Larson described. And yeah. so I come out defending what they are, not what I am. Hmm. And then yeah. there's another level where they're, they're mischaracterizing or strawmanning what conservatives or libertarians believe, and they strawman it hard. Yeah. And some of those beliefs that they strawman aren't my beliefs, but I yeah. come out and say, no, that's not their beliefs. And yeah. no, they, like they get mad at me for that. Well, like, actually, I, I had a friend, and I was bringing up – I was bringing up your channel and she went and she looked it up and she's like, Oh, aren't those guys like incels and oh, what else did she say? Incels and the QAnon people. Incel, <laughs> like, but QAnon. No, we are not QAnon. Yeah, <laughs> right. no, that's what like they've done research on this that shows that Democrats are Democrats more know more heard. about QAnon. Yeah. yeah. Like like yeah, more Democrats Democrats are more likely to have heard of QAnon than Republicans. No, it, and of course, that was like a year ago. Who knows how many more people have heard about Q? No, I just, mm. So, did you ever take the political compass test? Me? No. Yeah, because like, should I, I do mean, it the last, and then put my oh, results up? Yeah, it's fun. Um, because like, political compass the, is it accurate? Does everybody feel like it's accurate? Like, so if, if it's, a, I think it's a pretty good test. I think okay, it's a, a pretty what's good. What's the website for that? If you just do political compass, oh, you just can, Google it. You can screen share it on on. It's a fun live. Uh, Oh, shall we, shall we do it? Um, <laughs> you keep talking and I'll go. But because um, like so on the test, I am because, uh, you know, it's a two axis test. I'm like halfway from the bottom to the center and like one click to the left. So I'm just I'm I'm a freedom loving moderate, <laughs> basically, you know, but technically I'm on the left. Like Chris points out correctly, I'm conservative. And that I believe in conserving liberalism in the face <laughs> of a far left. That's how we're both. Onslaught. We're, con we're yeah. conservative of 90s yeah. liberalism. Yeah. All right. Let's. Is this. Should I take this test here? Yeah. Okay. So oh, it's pretty long, but yeah, go it, for it. It, it takes like five minutes, doesn't it? it this, it's multiple pages, but yeah, you can do it. Uh, it's not it. super long. We might cut it out. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Right I said it. Yeah. So I'm like. That's exactly I what like, I said you'd be. I was one click down and two clicks to the left of you when I took this. I was exactly where you are, just like two clicks, two clicks down. But we were, that's, that's funny. So see, now we found our own little echo chamber and we can say how right we are. Wrong everyone. We're libertarians. But at the same time too, some of the stuff we go saying and we get like salty about, people assume that we're way, way, way down to the other yeah. side of that. So, I mean, we're so, not. Well, it's because you're not spending you your time that we, criticizing that. 
I kind of missed it, but did somebody actually tell you that Chris and I are Q and Honor types? Yeah. No, what, what it was, what it was, is I, I said, I mentioned how I had been chatting with Chris, and then I told her the channel, and she went and looked at it, and the those that meme, that uh, that one no face meme or whatever you were calling it, I don't the know, NPC like, meme. NPC. They thought the NPC meme was a was a four chan. She she thought that yeah oh. she thought that because that came from for, from four chan therefore um, that is that thought, is a mainstream it was, meme. It probably started in four chan. Nothing will dispel yeah. you and about that, what four chan is about. I think that's why 4chan. she said it. But didn't you guys also say that that's what you got? Um, lambasted for it as well in the. Oh yeah, no. Everybody well, assumes that I'm a far right Trump loving conservative, God lover. All this stuff. It's really amazing how wrong they are. But that's, that's just that's right. just what comes out as soon as as we push back on anything yeah. like this. And and no, we're not we're not QAnon. We're not. But at the same time, too, I know some Q. Like I could defend some QAnon guys. I know a couple QAnon guys, and I also think that people mis misrepresent those guys and get overly freaked out about who they are too and how they're sure. making sense of the world. And how they're, they've got some things that they're, of course, it comes out weird and wonky, but it, it has an underlying substrate to it that they should yeah. try to understand better than just demonize and freak out about. No, it is funny that like at the same time that the whole Epstein, Jelaine Maxwell thing was going on, that that you're a wacko if you talk about the idea that there is like child sex trafficking going on and high level people are involved. Like that's the steel man of QAnon. Mm -hmm. Like. But you know all the weird details. And then there's there's the, there's a, there's a, you know, the, the other yeah. level of it too is thinking about it pragmatically. Is there people who think that the system is kaput, and so then they have this kind of like imaginary built up thing that like maybe somebody's going to come in and save it. But the underlying substrate of that is that they just do not trust. They do not trust the institutions anymore. And, yeah. And it's the institutions' fault that they don't. Yeah. <laughs> well. That was fun. We'll have to maybe do a redo because what I want to get to the bottom of is, is, is being critical of John DeLynn, like he is critical of the church. Is it even useful? That's kind of where I wanted to go. Like your intent, I think, I don't know. I have the same intent, but I don't know that it's, it's, I don't know that it's um, helpful to just play the same game they're playing. Like, I, I wonder if there's a better game we can be playing and it kind of segues into like three practices, for example, and, trying to talk, try to understand yeah. where people are at.